Colossians chapter 3, where over the next two Sunday nights, we'll be addressing one of the ever-present hot topics of the church, and that is our gospel sanctification. We'll talk about what it is and how the Lord uh, sanctifies his people. So Colossians chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 5 through 11. We'll have a quick prayer and then we'll begin the exposition of God's Word. These are the living words of the only living God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we do struggle sometimes with our sin. Give us clarity of thought and mind tonight, Lord, knowing that it's you and you alone that saves and sanctifies, yet it's you that causes your people to strive to mortify this sin that so easily entangles us. Bless the preaching of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. He was teaching high school, but feeling a call to possible ministry, and was considering seminary. I agreed to meet him for lunch, and much to my surprise, I was looking forward to talking about seminary, and the different options, and timing, and all of those things, his plans. I was not prepared for our conversation. After a few pleasantries, he said, I really need your help. I am caught in a cycle of sin that I fear I can never get out of. Can you help me? Can you give me steps to victory? For I can't go to seminary like I am. How would you answer that question? Sunday school teacher that has one of your students confide in you, elder or pastor on a shepherding meeting or possible meal, deacon praying with someone on a mission of mercy, how Do you answer that question? Christian here tonight, 
struggling with a wandering heart, are you struggling, wondering, how can I gain victory over what you may see as a losing battle with your own sin? Over the next two nights, with our annual pray around the church prayer meeting in between, Pastor Miller and I will look at this wonderful third chapter in the book of Colossians that has been referred to by many as the nuts and bolts of gospel sanctification. And before we start, we we need to uh, again remind ourselves, what is sanctification? And the catechism says this, sanctification is the work of God's free grace. The same wording that when we talk about what is justification and other things in the catechism, that first line of that answer is sanctification is the work of God's free grace, and it is. But then the confession says, whereby, through that grace, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So in one sense, our sanctification, our growth in grace, our growth in Jesus Christ is all of him. Yet in this area of sanctification, it's his grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man. And we are enabled to more and more die to sin and live unto righteousness. Although there is no foolproof formula, even in Colossians chapter 3, and although our individual lives in Christ are all different, aren't they? How we come to him, how we proceed progressively through the Christian life, there is a unique path for each one of us. Yet, as we'll see, there are three aspects of sanctification that here in our text apply to all of us. We all must do three things. We all must, A, put off the old man. And we'll see that as we go through in verses 5 to 10. We must all put on the new man. And that's what Pastor Miller will be focusing on in two weeks. There is a putting off of sin, almost like changing a garment, taking one off, putting another on, And finally, smack dab in the middle between putting off and putting on, we have verse 11 that says, Jesus Christ being all and in all, being both the author and the finisher of our faith and sanctification. So tonight we'll explore part one of this glorious doctrine of sanctification in our life in Jesus Christ, concentrating on put off. We'll see this quickly tonight under three headings. We'll see first that all must put to death or put off the old man. Secondly, we'll see that all are called and that there is no difference at the cross and no difference in sanctification. We are all called. And finally, Christ is all, and 
in all. The third chapter of Colossians begins answering a, lang, uh, a lagging and troublesome question at the, uh, and comment at the very end of Colossians chapter 2. Paul has been laying out an argument against legalism and false teachers in chapter 2 uh, at Colossae. And look at Colossians 2.18 as he identifies some of the demands of these false teachers. Colossians 2.18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He then makes the statement that any of us who have spent any time in legalism have experienced to be true. He asks a simple question in verse 20. He says, if with Christ you have died... To the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but then look what Paul says. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And they don't. Paul then sets the stage for our text like he was saying, now I'm going to help you understand how to truly stop the indulgence of the flesh. Turn to chapter 3, verse 1. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he gets to our text a command for every believer in Christ Jesus, all of us here tonight, every officer, every believer, all ages, all experiences in the Christian life, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Mortify, destroy, kill, put to death that old man. If there's anything more needed and less heard from pulpits, I don't know what it is. There is no hint of Paul at an apology to the seekers among us. Oh, this type of preaching will certainly turn people away. Listen to how one of my favorite commentators says about this putting off. He says, Paul's attitude is foreign today. But his message is simple and could not be clearer. Kill it. Put it to death. Execute it. Don't let it live another second. Take whatever steps are necessary to eliminate it from your life immediately. Tolerate no compromise. Take no prisoners. Deal ruthlessly and radically with it, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, or even invisible to others, it may be. Stop feeding it 
and eliminate causes of further temptation. If it's a place, don't go. If it's an image, turn away. If it's a song, don't listen to it. If it's a book, don't read it. If it's a liquid, don't drink it. If it's a person, part company today. Oh, I can't listen to this. Where is your love? Where is your care for others hurting? Brothers and sisters, we are inundated with this paradigm of care to the detriment of our own understanding, I believe, of the gospel and gospel sanctification. My question is, who really cares? The only hope for the lost sinner and is repentance. And the only hope for the Christian is repentance and mortification. That is gracious, and that is the message of care. One of the most gracious Christian men I've ever shaken hands with, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, puts it this way. I wish I had a, could even fake a good Scottish accent. I can't. But this is what he says, and you can imagine him saying it. Oh, there is only one way to kill sin. A steel knife penetrating the heart. We all need to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, the same question. Are we really interested in putting our sin to death? Although Paul doesn't mention every sin, yet there should be no surprise the ones he does mention could not be more applicable to both our culture and to our denomination. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, which is idolatry. Because of time, I really only will have to mention one of those tonight, and that's evil desire. It's important to see that Paul not only calls for the actual committing of the sin to be mortified by all of us, he calls for the desire, yea, the very attraction to that sin also to be put to death, an imperative, a command. This is confirmed in our confession as well, isn't it? Larger Catechism 139. What are the sins forbidden by the seventh commandment? Listen to the first five. Adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lust. I wonder how many of the divines lined up to have their no vote recorded when they voted on 139. Not only in our confession, listen to a recent ad interim report on human sexuality virtually lauded by everyone in the PCA, including the elders in this church. Quote, the experience of same-sex attraction is not morally neutral. The attraction is an expression of original or indwelling sin that must be repented of and put to death. I have in my notes, pause, deep breath. 
Listen, there is forgiveness, brothers and sisters, at only one place, and that's the foot of the cross. And I don't care what you've done, how many times you've done it, and who with. Your loving Savior is here to welcome the repentant sinner and delights in both forgiving you and giving you the desire and the means to put even the desire for that sin to death. No Christian, let alone a minister of the gospel, can associate himself with a sin that they have been commanded to put to death. This is the height of absurdity, brothers and sisters. Nor can the same-sex attracted person claim a badge of honor or any sacrifice for living a, quote, holy celibate life by not giving in to the desires that have no legitimate or holy expression. There is no legitimate expression for same-sex attraction. So how can you be congratulated for not doing it? Listen, in light of our recent controversy, here is the truth. The professing gay Christian keeping his or her illicit and unnatural desires in check has given up nothing, has sacrificed nothing. They have simply lived as every faithful single person in this building tonight is living if they haven't acted on that. Yet they must deal with that unwanted desire. But Paul doesn't end there with these outward sins. He wraps even these around covetousness and idolatry, which they are, and gives us the rationale to why we need to mortify this sin. We're to place now in our, we are at a place now in our denomination where a minister unashamedly can stand up and declare that what we need to add to our church documents are the words, God loves homosexuals. We must stop putting homosexuality into some special class. It is simply sexual perversion with no honorable expression that needs to be repented of like any other sin. No more and no less. You say, you're too hard, harsh, unloving. Really? Notice Paul in the next verse, 6. On account of these, evil desire being one of them, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul is on full-fledged offend mode here. He not only names the sins, Committed, he names the very desire and attraction to the sin and says, Because of these, the wrath of God, his righteous judgment is coming. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you what God loves God loves the same sex attracted, pornography obsessed, adulterer, and fornicator that says, No more. I'm done. Oh God, give me the change I need. Help me put a knife through the heart of this lust. I cannot and I will not live like this anymore. And just as my seminary-bound friend 
said to me, they get help to put that desire to death. Oh, church, God loves repentant sinners so much that he gives them a new heart and the desire to mortify that sin. Verse 7, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. Just like those famous words of some were, such were some of you, but now you must put them away. And he adds the internal struggles. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Put it away. Paul doesn't equivocate between the outward and internal attitudinal sin. They both are simply extensions of the heart and we're to put them all away. All of us are to put them away. And it's a lifetime process. Are we actively engaged in the mortification of our sin? Let's make it so. Not only do we need to mortify and keep mortifying sin, but secondly, Paul, in an unexpected way, shows that shows us that just as the call to mortify sin goes to all believers, Paul establishes that all human barriers have been broken down with this another glorious and timely truth. Look at verse 9. Because of this, you're putting away of your sin. Don't lie to one another in the body, seeing that you have put off the old with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. He now talks about that creation. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. Just a few words here. Look at what Paul specifically says in verse 11. Here, there is not. What is the here? It's those who are being sanctified in verse 9, who have put off the old self. In verse 10, and as Seth will show us in two weeks, those that have put on the new. In other words, here, where there is a church, where one another are meeting and gathering, this is where true believers are putting off and putting on. And here... There is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, slave or free. Paul's point here can't be missed. Each of these pairs had a history of hatred, racism, exploitation, and bitterness, hatred toward one another. Paul says there's no such thing here, none. No more. He uses the lowest form. Barbarians and Scythians representing the lowest form of lifestyles. He uses the widest description. Greek, the Hellenist, and Jews, which accompanied most of the known world. And he uses the widest form of social difference. Slave and free and says, no more. 
This represents, brothers and sisters, more than racial reconciliation. It represents all social, governmental, economic, and the worst possible pagan adultery, a pagan uh, 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 idolatry, and says not and no more. All in Christ that put off the old and put on the new are level. There's no advantage to anyone, and there's no disadvantage to anyone. So many ramifications to this uh, that we don't have time to get into tonight, but bottom line is this. Our last point is why there is no such thing. Verse 11 at the end. Christ is all and in all. What a verse. And we can miss the force of this portion of the text in English. Fantastic. Panta kai and posse Christos. It's all, everything. All, everything. And in all and everything, Christ. What do you remember about the fall of 1993? If you come to our house sometime for dinner, you'll most likely have a name tag with a date written on the back of that name tag. My wife, Lisa, loves to do this, and you might get 1993 if you come over to the house. And the reason for that is you say the year, and then you tell everybody what you were doing that year, and it's this wonderful icebreaker. <laughs> and it works, too. It's pretty good. 1993, in the fall, I was attending my first Ligonier conference. And we had a breakout session, I think, the second day, and my buddy and I were looking to, you know, what are we going to do? What, are we, where are we, what breakout session are we going to go to? And I certainly had no clue that the 60 minutes I was about to, to uh, go to would change my life, but it did. I decided on, we decided on a topic that we had very little knowledge about. It was 1 p.m., Salon B., An Introduction to the Puritans by Reverend Don Kistler. Although the details of that session have faded over time in my memory, it was of all things Don reading the table of contents from a book that I can never, ever forget. And although time and circumstances can never be repeated, I want to try to recreate that moment for you. In the lecture, as an example of the focus of the Puritans, Don showed us a new book that his company, Soli Deo Gloria, had just published. And this is the book. It's by a Puritan by the name of Ralph Robinson, 28-year-old, newly uh, ordained minister who volunteered to be a clerk at the Westminster Confession of Faith. 
And he wrote a book called Christ is All in All. And what happened in this book, it started in May, of, May 18th of 1651. Robinson started a year-long, a little over a year-long series. And he preached 56 sermons on one verse. Colossians 3, 11. Christ is all and in all. And here were the sermons. He started out sermon one, a preliminary sermon to the whole discourse that Christ truly is all and all. Followed by three sermons on Christ, the Christian's life. Christ, the Christian's food. Christ, the Christian's righteousness. Christ, three sermons on Christ, the protector of the Christian. Christ, the physician. Christ, the true light. Christ, the great shepherd. Christ, the true vine. Christ, the horn of salvation. Christ, the dew of heaven. Five sermons on Christ, the chief cornerstone. Then two sermons on Christ, to the wicked, a stone of stumbling. Christ, the son of righteousness. Christ, the precious ointment for a Christian. Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel. Christ, the fountain opened and and plunged by penitent sinners. Christ, the Lamb of God. Christ, the bundle of myrrh. Christ, the way. Christ, the truth. Christ, the glory of his people. Christ, the gift of God. Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Christ, the rock. Christ, the word of God and sword of the spirit. Christ, the desire of all nations. Christ, the covenant of grace established. Christ, the hope of salvation. Christ, the rivers of water in a dry land. Christ, the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. Christ, the true brazen serpent. Christ, the end of the law. Christ, the holy one of God. Christ, the Christian's spiritual altar. And finally, Christ, the Christian's forever Passover. When Reverend Kistler read those sermons, my heart leapt. It also sunk. And instantly I knew two things. Number one, I'd never in my life heard one sermon dedicated solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Number two, I also knew I would never be satisfied until I found one. Those words, even most of them, I didn't even understand what they were. But Christ is all and all. Brothers and sisters, we can never take for granted what God has entrusted us in this place. The exposition of the word of God and the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. Every Lord's Day, oh, what a heritage it is. It's why we do what we do. It's why we need to expand our facilities. It's why nearly a hundred of you, our closest friends, will soon painfully depart for Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Allen Fairview. The preaching and worship of Jesus Christ to the salvation of sinners and to the sanctification of saints is why 
we exist. Without this simple yet profound portion of this passage, all, everything, and in all, everything, Christ, we have no hope of either mortifying and seeing victory, putting off, nor, as we'll hear in two weeks, is there any hope of putting on the life that loves and imitates our Savior. And as we close, just two takeaways for this Sunday evening. Number one, will we truly take the putting of our sin to death seriously? The majority of the evangelical church do not even have categories for this. Oh, Christian, let's take the words of the apostle serious. And secondly, will we learn this week and next truly what sanctification is and commit to do both, mortifying our sin and putting on our life in Christ, all done through and because the will of Christ for us and his body. I took my friend through J.C. Ryle's Thoughts for a Young Man. We met probably five, six weeks in a row, and I just had the feeling I wasn't even helping this brother. I wasn't equipped to address the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Never again, brothers and sisters. We need to be putting off and putting on within the middle. Pantakai Christ, passe Christos. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father, if we're honest, we don't think much about this doctrine. We don't think much about our responsibility to put off, to mortify our sin, what it looks like. We so easily excuse ourselves. Make it not so. Father, we don't do these things to score points. We don't do them to act like holier-than-thou people. We do these things because you've commanded us to do so. Help us find that balance between the putting off, hard as that was tonight, and in two weeks, the sweetness of putting on with our Savior, who is all in all in the middle. Bless your people now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.